we tend to not know what we don't know. And we all tend to believe we know more than we actually do. There are very few people who openly rate themselves as average at anything, and even fewer who rate themselves below average at anything. We all have a tendency to rate ourselves as above average at just about anything we are polled on. We all think we're above average drivers. We all think we're above average spouses. We think in our professions we are above average at whatever it is we do, whether it is teaching, whether we are plumbers, whether we are scientists, whether we are physicians, attorneys, judges, businessmen, salesmen. We all think we're above average at whatever it is we do. But we can't all be exemplary at the things we believe we are, can we? Welcome to the Paradigm Left Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Yee, and this is episode 11. Let's talk biases, heuristics, and all the other things that we do that we don't know we do. None of us truly know why we do the things that we do, but we all believe we do. The human mind does not accept randomness or chaos, so it makes up a story. This is the narrative fallacy. And this is just one of the many cognitive processes we have that we are unaware of. In today's episode, we are going to have fun. We're going to be exploring a lot of these processes we have that operate below our level of awareness. And I guarantee you, after this episode, you are going to sit back and look at some of the things you do and laugh. And you will definitely point out some things to your friends or the people that are around you and try to bring it to their attention as well. Biases and heuristics are basically just shortcuts that the brain uses to make a decision. A lot of these things have evolved over time. We operate 95% of the time out of our subconscious and our adaptive unconscious processes. What that means is, for most of the time that we exist, we're operating on a loop. We are not consciously making decisions. We tend to do the same things the same way, day in, day out, with the same people, saying the same things, thinking the same things, and so forth. It's estimated we have approximately 75,000 thoughts a day, and we make about 35,000 decisions a day. That's all carried out subconsciously. Our subconscious and adaptive unconscious process has the ability to process anywhere between 11 million and 20 million bits of information per second and our conscious processes can process anywhere between 16 and 50 bits of information per second. If you let that sink in for a moment, there's almost no comparison as to the computational power of both of those processes. A conversation between two people takes up about 60 to 80 bits and 
if you think about it, just having a conversation maxes you out on a conscious level. But that's why when you're having a conversation with someone in a crowded room and you hear your name spoken from across the room, you immediately hear that and lock into that as if you were a part of that conversation. You didn't consciously do that. That was your adaptive unconscious process that keyed into that. Whenever you buy a car for that first month or so, maybe even longer, you tend to notice the same model of that car on the road just about everywhere you go. Now, people didn't all of a sudden just get the same car you did. You're just noticing it more because you're keyed into it because you just bought one yourself. It happened to me when I bought my Camaro. It happened to me when I bought my Jeep. We have tons of these subconscious things working about us day in and day out. Our subconscious and adaptive unconscious processes are constantly taking in information. And a lot of that information, the majority of it, is stuff that we have absolutely no idea about. When we dream, the dreams that we remember... Everything in those dreams comes from something our subconscious was exposed to. Our brains and minds are creative, but we didn't make up all those faces that we see. It could have been somebody passing us on the street, on the subway, on a bus, or something. When we break down our biases and our heuristics, there are a lot of things going on that have been studied for approximately around 60 years or so. It was my introduction to these biases, heuristics, and other cognitive processes that fascinated me with the field of social psychology and behavioral economics. It just like seemed incredibly spectacular to me that we have all of this stuff going on and that we can, in fact pay more attention, be more mindful, and make certain changes and grow in some of these areas. We have instincts. We have biases. We have heuristics. And we have habits. Most of our behaviors are the result of implicit learning and conditioning. But we do have a handful of things we do that we weren't taught that we have no idea that we do. In an experiment where men were asked to rate the attractiveness of women based on photos, the men all overwhelmingly rated the women who had dilated pupils as being more attractive than those whose pupils weren't dilated. Of course, when the men were asked afterwards why they found the women attractive that they rated highly attractive, each and every one of them was able to come up with a, a narrative explaining why they felt that woman was attractive, but no one mentioned the pupil dilation as being a reason. As it turns out, pupil dilation is a sign of excitability and sexual readiness that we have no idea affects us the way it does. Strippers who 
work a certain day of the month tend to see their tips increase almost by 100%. When they ovulate, customers are able to pick up on this subconsciously. Women are rated far more attractive by men and women when they're at their peak of ovulation. There's an overwhelming tendency to favor a woman when she's ovulating. And very few men can like pinpoint that and say, yeah, I'm attracted to this woman because I know she's ovulating. But again, they all make up a story as to why they find this particular woman irresistible at this date and time. Women have varying attractions to men based on where they are in their menstrual cycle. When women are ovulating, they have an overwhelming tendency to favor what are the traditional masculine features in a man. And when they're not ovulating, they tend to favor overwhelmingly softer features that signal more sensitive and caring behavior. Time and time again, when men and women are polled and asked to explain why they felt a certain level of attractiveness to certain individuals, these things are not on the radar. They're completely below their level of cognition. Women, when they live together in large groups, as in college dorm or maybe a large apartment where there's significant amount of roommates and cohabitation, it's not uncommon for their menstrual cycles to sync up. This is nothing that they're aware of. This is nothing they have control over. And an example of something that is very powerful that operates way below the level of cognition, there is something called stereotype threat. In that... In numerous experiments, African-American students and women, when reminded of their ethnicity and reminded of their gender prior to taking an exam by filling out the demographic information, tend to score lower than when they don't have to fill out that gender or ethnic information portion on an exam. These are implicit biases that we all have and operate from. When teachers are told students are quote-unquote gifted, these students tend to outperform all the other students in the class even though the gifted label was completely random. Teachers tend to treat students differently, teach them differently, when they have these expectations thrown upon them. What is regarded as the mother of all biases is something called the confirmation bias. This is something we all have, something we all experience. This is a filter that we wear that creates tunnel vision and 
what it does is it causes us to only see and accept evidence and information that already validates a belief we already have. And we will swear that we are being the most objective and rational person in the face of this evidence and information. We're not. We're suffering from the confirmation bias. The narrative fallacy, as I previously discussed, is the story we tell ourselves to explain why we did something. This is incredibly powerful because the story that we create can impact what we do in future situations that are similar to this situation. It's almost like a self-fulfillment projection. So it's something to really try and be mindful of and ask yourself of when, when, when you're experiencing something that someone asks you as to why, why you did or why you believe something. The endowment effect is our tendency to overvalue anything we own or perceive to own. This includes our thoughts. Sunk cost fallacy. This is when we simply cannot cut loose from something because of our previous investment in it. This could be a relationship. This could be a job. A business. A house. I'll tell you right now, I'm suffering from soft sunk cost fallacy right now in my job because I've been there 20 years and I'm locked in. I'm letting this idea of a pension keep me there instead of just trying to get out and do my own thing. Well, I'm trying to get out and do my own thing, but I'm not interested in getting into the job. I'm trying to hang my own shingle and start my own shop. But we've all had it. Sunk cost fallacy. Scared to move on because we've invested too much time, money, or energy into something. The mere exposure effect dictates that the more we are subjected to something the more favorable feelings we will develop towards that thing. This is something that is the foundation of marketing and advertising and branding. Expose people to something enough times, whether it is a symbol, a jingle, a brand, a song, and you will have that imprinted into your neural circuitry to the point where even if you don't want it or like it, you will become familiar with it and possibly build favorable feelings towards it. How often have you found yourself in your car singing along with a song and nodding your head to a song that you acknowledge you don't even like? That is the mere exposure effect. In an extreme application of it, if you remember the 1994 Major League Baseball strike, Jerry Reinsdorf, who was the owner of the Chicago White Sox at the time, was asked about using replacement players, and he openly stated, if I put a monkey on TV long enough, jumping up and down and doing nothing but just jumping up and down, people will start to watch it and enjoy it. And he wasn't too far off, he was speaking to the mere exposure effect. We've all fell victim to it. Negativity dominance. We are more attracted to the car wreck because we are wired to seek out danger. Evolutionary speaking, we are wired to seek out chaos and danger. We love the train wreck. We love the car wreck. We always assume 
the worst case scenario. Most of us, our default position is always looking for what's going to go wrong to prepare ourselves. And the problem with that is when you cut yourself off from anything that's positive or optimistic, you cannot achieve that. So when you're in a space of negativity or you're in a, in a survival mode or a defensive posture, you cannot be optimistic and positive. The same thing holds true when you're optimistic and you're positive. You cannot be negative or in survival mode or defensive. This is a very important thing to pay attention to because if you're dedicated to growth, if you're trying to change, you have to be able to put on filters of optimism and positivity on a regular basis. To have any lingering fear, anger, anxiety enter, it cuts you off from anything that is optimistic and positive. You cannot enter problem-solving mode when you have a negativity dominance presence. Loss aversion. This is the fact that losing something hurts more than gaining something of the same value feels good. It hurts more to lose $100 than it does to gain $100. This has been tested numerous times and it's been consistent. The comparative fallacy. This is when we judge and compare our results to someone else's results. The single most guilty suspect of this these days is social media. We go on social media and compare everybody's result to where we are at. We look at these photos of these amazingly beautiful people doing amazingly wonderful things and we look at our lives and we're like, what am I doing wrong? Well, we have to focus on the process. The process is where all the bodies are buried. The process is where the work is done. The process is where the commitment is at. If you want to make changes and achieve great things in your life, you have to look at the process. Falling into the comparative fallacy is just going to work to detract you and make you feel bad about wherever it is you're at. You should be feeling good about wherever it is you're at as long as you are putting in your work and committing yourself to your process. The fundamental attribution error. This is where we assume someone's behavior is the result of their personality or traits that they have. When in fact, situations play a huge role in our behavior. In the episode on push and pull forces on behavior, I went into that. The situation is incredibly powerful and something we tend to not notice or be aware of. It's easy for us to pass judgment and to be critical when we observe behavior that we deem to be off-kilter. But we have no idea what situation or what experience has created that behavior in that moment. A funny thing about the fundamental attribution error is that when we look at ourselves, we always tend to take credit for everything successful that we've done. We assume full responsibility for that. But overwhelmingly, people, when something goes wrong or when they fail or when something doesn't go right, 
they themselves activate the fundamental attribution error and blame a situation, blame an experience, blame a person for why they didn't do what they wanted to do, why they didn't get what they wanted to get, why they didn't achieve what they wanted to achieve. Whenever we look at other people and their behavior, we always just chalk it up to that person's personality, their traits, that's who they are. That's the fundamental attribution error. Situations, experiences play far more into behavior than we give them credit for. And situations and patterns and experiences will explain far more about someone's behavior than what their personality traits are. A lot of these biases and heuristics are explained by our evolutionary process to try and make quick decisions as, with as little information as we can. There was a time where that was necessary for our survival. It no longer is, but we still all operate from this. A lot of our biases, a lot of our heuristics, our habits, other adaptive unconscious behaviors, they operate from the place where emotion is regulated in the brain matrix. The brain responds to logical situations and emotional situations very differently. There are two different parts of the brains that calculate them. This was shown in the famous trolley experiment where if you had a trolley coming down a set of tracks and it was going to run over and kill five people that were on the track, but you could hit a switch and divert the train to just kill one person on a different track, overwhelmingly most people will have no problem hitting the switch and diverting the train to kill the one person as opposed to the five. But the same situation with a little twist where... You had to push somebody in front of a train off of a bridge and sacrifice that person's life to save the five. Overwhelmingly, most people cannot do that, even though statistically that is exactly the same scenario, same ending, same situation. But the difference is, is that there is now an interaction that activates the emotional part of the brain. Hitting the switch just uses the logical part of the brain that makes it seem like it's solving a math equation. When you invoke emotion, everything changes. A man walking down the street in the $20,000 Tom Ford suit will have no problem jumping into a water treatment center to save a child that's drowning in that water. But studies have shown that when people are polled or asked about donating money to a cause to help feed a child or help, help a child in a remote part of the world, it's easy for them to disregard that because there's no interaction. The two different parts of the brains are operating in that way. And a lot of our biases and heuristics work that way. We are emotional creatures. We bond socially. Emotion is the glue that bonds us in the social environments. So, what is the benefit, and by no means was that list an exhaustive list of biases and heuristics. If you have any interest in learning more about them, 
pick up a book called The Wisest One in the Room by Thomas Gilovich and Lee Ross, and Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow by Daniel Kamen. But why is it important, or what's the benefit of trying to be aware of as many of our biases and heuristics as possible? We are adaptive animals. One of the unique things about humans is that we are born with very few instincts and most of who we are and what we become is a result of conditioning. It's partly why we're so helpless for so long after we're born. Human babies are the most helpless in the animal kingdom for the longest period of time. Every other animal in the animal kingdom operates with a very primitively developed nervous system and they pretty much all run off instinct. That's why a horse can run half an hour after it's born. That's why lions just know when they see a gazelle or a zebra, they light up. They don't have to be told what's lunch. Humans, we have an incredible ability to adapt. That's why we're found at the four corners of the globe. If you took a polar bear and put him in the Amazon, or if you took a lion and put him in the Arctic, their statistical probabilities of survival just almost don't exist. They don't have the ability to adapt. They don't have the, the neuroplasticity abilities that we do. Our brains change whenever we learn. Our brains adapt to our environments. Our brains adapt to our surroundings. It's why we can live in Alaska, we can live in the Amazon, we can live in the, in the savannah, we can live in a city, we can live in the country, we can live in the ocean, like the sea gypsies off of Myanmar. We have an ability to adapt that no other animal has, and when we can become aware of these biases and heuristics that we have, we can regulate them. We can change them. So someone who is a racist, they're prejudiced, they're the in-tribe, out-tribe fallacy is just burnt into their neural circuitry. They can change that if they took the time out to understand this, embrace this knowledge, and work to deconstruct. You can work on your confirmation bias. You can work on your narrative fallacy. You can work on your mere exposure effect. You can work on your ignorance of the fundamental attribution error. The way you address working through these things is simply to question everything you believe. Everything you think you know and every belief that you have, if you took time out to question it, and ask yourself, how did I get this? Why do I have this? That's the start. That's the start to deconstruct, to create space, and to fabricate, if you want, a new response. We are not locked in to the beliefs and the mindsets that we have. If we did, we would not have the iPhone. We would not have the internet. We would not have Formula One cars. We would not have Donzi speedboats.
Okay, we would not have rockets or satellites or or communication devices or we would not have fiber optic ca cables that cross the Atlantic. We have the ability to step out of who we are and get beyond who we are. We have the ability to get beyond how we think, how we feel, and how we behave. And that starts with questioning our beliefs. And when we can question our beliefs, all of these heuristics and biases that all of us have can be worked on and managed. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Paradigm Lift Podcast. Again, I'm your host, Elliot Yee. If you have any questions, comments, or feedbacks, or you have any interest in uh, bookings for speaking engagements or workshops, feel free to look me up on Instagram at Elliot underscore Yee, or email me at ParadigmLeft at Gmail. Once again, thanks for tuning in. Take care.